We're continuing here in our series uh, on the life of Jacob from Genesis chapter 29. And, and while you're opening your Bible or your smartphone or your tablet um, or your computer or wherever you look at the Bible, we just love your eyes on a page. But uh, I want to let you know that uh, you know the f- work on our facility has begun. And as, as always, yes, we're excited about that. It, it always seems to take longer than we want. We're gently talking about the end of October, but it, re- realistically, it may be the beginning of November before we get in there. Um, but we're targeting or hoping and praying for those, those times. So continue to pray with us, if you would. There are always lingering issues that seem to have to get cleaned up, and, uh, and we just greatly appreciate your prayers about those things. So let's pray as we look to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we come to you today humbled that you would be a God who loves us, who calls us his children, and who longs to transform us into the image of Christ. And Holy Spirit, we invite you today to do that. God, allow my words today to reflect your thoughts for this body. Allow us to be a church who does bring people together to live, love, and give like Jesus, and that we can spur one another on towards this goal. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you might know, if you're a sports fan at all, this is a great time of year because if you're a baseball fan, it's winding down and and you've got uh, the World Series to look forward to. If you're a football fan, it's winding up. You've got both the college and the NFL. And, uh, and then, of course, the NBA will start at some point, but I don't really care about that. So, uh, but football and baseball, those are exciting things. So I was thinking about different athletes and how athletes are in the limelight. And so everything professional athletes seem to do, uh, especially in a 24-hour news cycle that we have, everything seems to get noticed. And particularly when we see athletes struggle... We, we note this. I was thinking about Josh Hamilton. Uh, Josh Hamilton's a baseball player who I really like, and his story's really interesting. He, he was tapped in like seventh grade. Scouts were already watching him uh, for a possibility of being a major league baseball player. And about the time before he was drafted, he began to struggle with drug addiction. And so he kind of fell off the map. The Reds picked him up as a Rule 5 draft pick, and they gave him a chance. And eventually, he signed with Texas, uh, a pretty big deal. And in 2010, he was the most valuable player. He got that award. I mean, the guy was, uh, I mean, just unbelievable. Uh, Eventually, the Angels signed him to a larger contract, and he just fell off the map. And he went back. He started his drug addiction again, and he sort of cycled through this whole thing again. And now the, he went and landed back with the Rangers, and most recently he was released by the Rangers this season. A guy who just five, six years ago won the MVP is released because primarily because of injury and cycling back to drug addiction. Another athlete who, if you like football, you'll understand this, is, is Josh Gordon. Uh, the Cleveland Browns seem to never get this right in, in drafting people, but they drafted Josh Gordon, this guy who had a history of getting speeding tickets because he was smoking marijuana. And just continually, he smokes marijuana, he speeds, he gets caught over and over and over. He keeps being disciplined. 
And you look at him and, and, and the team, the Browns keep saying, oh, we're going to give him another shot. He's going to change. And then he doesn't. And just over and over and over. And as I look at this, people often talk about athletes like Josh Gordon as someone who needs a fresh start or a change of scenery, as if that fresh start would change them as a person. But of course, we know that these athletes need to dig a little deeper. They need to uncover their unresolved issues. They need to dig a little bit deeper than just a change of scenery or a fresh start. What I wonder today is, are you and I a little bit more like some professional athletes than we would care to admit? Maybe minus the uh, six-figure paycheck, you and I sometimes struggle really to truly transform and we think sometimes that a fresh start, maybe we don't, would help us. Maybe we don't struggle with substance abuse, but we have our own issues that go deep and undetected because we're not in the limelight like a lot of these professional athletes. People try fresh starts all the time. Have you ever tried to change your life simply by getting a fresh start? Maybe it's a new house or a new job, you know, a new family, a new life. But fresh starts are thoroughly unhelpful unless we address and first deal with a deeper issue, a root issue. Because no matter where you go, as the phrase goes, there you are. No matter where you go, the consistent factor in every fresh start is you. You are there. And every fresh start involves the constant thing you. And so unless you and I are willing to dig a little bit deeper Simply having a fresh start won't help us. What we need to do is address the root issues in our life. Otherwise, a fresh start is just a retread. And if you've ever tried to have a fresh start and felt like there was a, a three-ton anchor holding you back, then you might relate to Jacob. And you might just discover that God is transforming you in ways that you never understood. You see, God transforms us by bringing us face-to-face with our unresolved issues. I want to say that again because it's so important. God transforms us by bringing us face-to-face with our unresolved issues. Now, we've been in this series uh, on the life of Jacob. This is our fourth week in this series. And, And just a quick review on what's going on with Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. God made a very special covenant with Abraham, if you remember this, and all of Abraham's descendants. God promised to make Abraham into a great nation. He said he would give him a great land and that Abraham and his descendants would be a great blessing to the entire world. Now, Jacob has inherited the mantle of carrying this blessing and covenant. And Jacob is a piece of work. I mean, this guy is at his core a manipulator, and a deceiver. And in fact, you might remember, after deceiving both his father and his brother, he finds himself on the run. We saw this in the first week, how Jacob stole or manipulated the, the birthright from his older brother Esau. And then later on, when their, uh, their father is old, he manipulates and deceives his own father to give the blessing to Jacob instead of his brother Esau. And now we saw last week that Jacob was on the run. He's ticked everybody off. His brother Esau is so mad 
that he consoles himself at night with the thought of killing Jacob. And Jacob is in a bad place we saw last week. And as he's running away from home, running to his mother's relatives back in the land of Haran, God meets him at a place called Bethel. And he gives him this vision of the the ladder or the stairway to heaven. And God promises Jacob, in spite of the mess that Jacob is, God promises to go with Jacob. You see, now today we're going to pick up right where we left off. Jacob has received this blessing. He received this meeting with the Almighty God. And his feet are light and he's excited, and he's energized and by his encounter with God, and he's going to hurry on to Haran, the land of his mother's family. And what Jacob is going to pursue now in this new land is something you and I can relate to. It's a fresh start. He says, I want a fresh start. I want to start over. I'm excited to do this. I've had this vision with God. I'm ready to go. But God wants to deal with Jacob's deeper issues, because the truth is God transforms us by bringing us face-to-face with our unresolved issues. And so as we pursue transformation today, I think the text lines us to two ideas here. As we pursue transformation, we're going to see two things. And the first thing is simply this. The first thing I want you to see is that as we pursue transformation, we are ready for a fresh start. That's the first thing I want you to see. We are ready for a fresh start. So Jacob is fleeing his homeland. His brother wants to kill him. He's on the run. God's met him. And Jacob, we would think that Jacob is ready to be transformed. But Jacob is not yet ready to be transformed. Jacob is just energized by the thought of, I get a fresh start. I messed this whole thing up. I get to start over. Let's do it. Let's take the fresh start. Look in in chapter 29, verse 1. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. Now, the NIV translates this word here, continued. Jacob continued on his journey. Literally, the Hebrew says, and it's something that may not make sense to us, it says, Jacob lifted up his feet. That's what the Hebrew says. And it lets us know that Jacob has hopped up and he's ready to go. From a guy that was depressed and running away from home, he has now encountered the living God and he's excited. He's ready to run away. The idea is he jumped up after this vision and he ran all the way to Haran. Now Haran was 550 miles away, a 50 days journey. So he probably didn't run all the way, but that's the idea. Like he had a skip in his step. You know, he skipped all the way to Haran. He's excited. He's moving fast. He's moving quickly across this long journey. Why is he energized? Is it because he's left home? No, no. Is it because he's all alone? No. It's because God is with him. And Jacob has turned his attention from Esau, which is behind him in the rearview mirror, so to speak. And now he's turned his attention to Haran, where his extended family, his mother's family is. He's ready for a fresh start. Can you relate to Jacob? Have you ever had a time where you just wanted to quit and have a total fresh start. If you ever have started and thought, if I just had a new job or just a new group of friends or, or a new home, if I just could move, if I was lived in a new town maybe or found even a new church or new friends, 
Whatever it might be, have you ever thought a fresh start is really what I need? Well, Jacob thinks that, but God has something deeper to tell him because the reality is we pursue transformation. We're ready for a fresh start, but God has something deeper in his mind. So Jacob arrives in Haran. We, we skip all this 50-day long journey. He's still energized even after a long journey of 500 miles by foot. And he runs into the outside of town of, of Haran and he comes into the outside of the encampment and he finds three different flocks and their shepherds that are laying around a well. Now it's important to understand some things about a well. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm battling a, a, uh, some nasty thing in my chest, so I'll try not to cough on all of you today. Um, <clears throat> so he, he, we need to understand some things about wells in the ancient Near East. We think about a nice well being, you know, something that maybe in the desert and has stones built up around it and a wooden structure with a bucket that goes down and people wind the bucket up. And that is not how a well worked in the ancient Near East. There were no walls on the side of the well. They eventually put walls on the side of the well to keep people and animals from falling in it. In the old day, it was just, in the ancient Near East, it was just a hole in the ground. And so what they did is they had a huge stone that they would roll over the top of the hole to keep people and animals from falling in. What this huge stone also did is it um, protected the well. The person who dug the well owned the well. Usually some communities or people would work together with a lot of work to dig a well. And, and since it wasn't a limitless flow of water, oftentimes the water in a well had to seep into the well over time. They didn't, they didn't want just anybody hoarding or taking their water. And what a huge stone did is sort of act as a security device. You had to have a number of people, number of shepherds there to lift the stone off. So Jacob comes to this well where these shepherds are just sitting around and he asks them a question. Do you know my family, Laban? Because remember, Jacob's pursuing this fresh start. Now the shepherds, they're annoyed with him because, you know, they're taking a nap or something and Jacob, the stranger they don't know, is bothering them. Look at verse 6 of chapter 29. They say, um, Jacob asked them, is he, Laban, well? And they said, yes, he is. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. In other words, listen, that's his daughter. Stop bugging us. We're napping. Take care of her. It's really fascinating here that Jacob, all of a sudden in this fresh start, starts to develop a fresh new set of character traits. In fact, he's wanting to become a man of character. And so Jacob says to them a really interesting thing. Look at verse 7. He says, look, the sun's still high. Is it not time for the flocks to be gathered? Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. So the way it was supposed to happen is shepherds were supposed to bring their sheep early in the morning, water the sheep, and then take them back to the pasture. He's saying the sun is hot. It's noon. What have you been doing all day? Are you guys lazy? Why are you sitting here now waiting? Jacob's all of a sudden just developed a work ethic after manipulating and conniving and scheming for his entire life. The shepherd's response then is, listen, we have an agreement with the other shepherds. We all have to wait to do this together. And that, again, that's a security measure. They all agreed that they all would get there at the same time, remove the stone. So they all got an equal portion of the water. No one hoards it. Jacob just views this as lazy. See, he's trying in his fresh start to become a man of character. 
He's also developed a new work ethic. Now he's ready to jump in. We're about to ready, ready to see him move this stone that traditionally two to three guys would have to be there to move the stone. Look at verse 9. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, I have the movie version of this in my head, right? Like, this is the, the camera zooms in. Jacob's talking to the shepherds, and they say, oh, look, there's Rachel. And, you know, sort of the sultry music starts, and Rachel takes her hair out of the bun and waves it majestically all around. And, and Jacob's like, ooh, la, la, I like what I see. You know, he's all excited, and, and the author is foreshadowing what's to come, is that Jacob would fall in love with Rachel here. Rachel literally means lamb, little lamb. And I, and I just love how the author Moses here is giving us this bit of irony. Like this little lamb is taking care of the little lambs. And, and this is this beautiful picture of, of what kind of woman that Rachel is. But Jacob has a new work ethic. He jumps in and, and uh, he rolls this huge stone away all by himself so that Rachel could have some water and this deceiver, Jacob, should have conned someone else into doing it. I mean, that's the kind of guy that he was. He would have manipulated someone else into doing the hard work. But Jacob's looking for a fresh start. He's looking for a fresh start. He's trying to develop a fresh new character, a fresh new work ethic, and now a fresh new family. And so Jacob runs up to Rachel, he meets her, and he kisses her. Now, this is not a romantic kiss. This is not the movie where, where they they start embracing and kissing and the camera does the 360 around them, you know, while it's spinning. That is not this at all. In the ancient Near East, this was a common expression amongst family member. Rachel is, of course, his distant family member, which we find disturbing, but in the ancient Near East, this was very common practice. And so he finds her and he goes up and he greets her with a kiss on the cheek. And he brings Rachel up to speed with his whole story, everything that's happened to him. Rachel runs to tell her dad, and her dad is very curious. Her dad is Laban. Now, we've met Laban before. We've met Laban before. We met Laban back um, earlier in Genesis. And we met Laban when, if you remember, um, Abraham wanted to find a wife for his son, Isaac. So he sent his servant back to his homeland to, to find a suitable wife. And the servant found Rebekah. And Laban, Rebekah's brother, agreed to the terms of this marital agreement and sent Rebekah off. This was years ago. There is no internet. There is no telephone line. There is no email. Laban has most likely not heard a word about his sister since he sent her off. So he's very curious to learn about what's happened to his sister. And so Jacob returns to, to Laban's home and Laban starts giving him the nth degree. He starts quizzing him and, and Jacob tells his story to his uncle Laban. Now look at verse 14. Verse 14 of chapter 29. Then Laban said to him, after hearing his story about, after verifying the facts, it was good enough for him. He said, you are my own flesh and blood which is a clear allusion to Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, when Adam says this to Eve, you are my flesh, you are my blood. It's a very uh, clear tie to that. 
And Laban, Laban then realizes that Jacob has nothing. He realizes that he has nothing. And this is going to form the basis for the next thing I want to talk about today. As we pursue transformation, not only are we ready for a fresh start, God has something more to teach us. We might be ready for a fresh start, but the second thing I want you to know is that God is ready to dig deeper into our unresolved issues. You see, God doesn't just want you to forget about your past. We so often just want to leave our past behind. But God says there is a gold mine of wisdom in your path. And there are unresolved issues that you have to find in your past. Sometimes this can be really painful, but it can be good. God wants to uncover the unresolved issues and bring real transformation. Sometimes that can be painful, but it's always good when he does this. Now, I'm not talk necessarily talking about counseling. There's an important role for counseling. I've done counseling. It's been very helpful to me. But there are sometimes different ways that we should encounter or dig up our past. God often addresses our deeper issues by bringing us face-to-face -face with someone who is just like us, bringing us face-to-face -face with ourselves. In Jacob's life, this is called the great reversal. Everything that is going to happen now from Genesis 29 for the next two chapters is a great reversal for Jacob. Everything is mixed up. Everything has changed. Everything that he did is now going to be done to Jacob. Jacob has cheated and thieved and deceived and manipulated his, in all his life to get ahead. And now God is going to allow someone else to do that to Jacob. And he's going to come face to face with someone who is as skilled as a deceiver as he is. And so Jacob is vulnerable. Think about this. Jacob has left his people. He's traveled. He's 550 miles from home. He might be on another planet as well. I mean, he might as well just be on another planet. He is so far from home. He has nothing. He doesn't have food. He doesn't have possessions. He doesn't have money. He doesn't have a family. He has nothing. And Laban looks at Jacob and while says, yes, you are my flesh and blood. You are my family. Laban sees, I can exploit this guy. He's vulnerable. And Laban begins. And just like years before, when Jacob deceived and took advantage of Esau, Laban is now about to take advantage of Jacob. And so Laban weaves this tapestry of manipulation. Laban addresses the issue of payment in verse 15. And at first glance, we think he's trying to be honest and, and a man of integrity. Look at verse 15. Jacob's hung out there a while, lived in his house, worked for him. Laban said to him, he'd stayed there for a whole month. Verse 15, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban already knows what he wants. Laban knows that he wants to figure out, he likes having Jacob around. Jacob has developed this new work ethic. He's a hard worker. It's to Laban's advantage. He knows that Jacob's eventually going to leave. And he says, how can I get Jacob to stay here? How can I trick him into working further? So he tries to be sly in verse 15, but he has something different in mind. He clearly has seen that Jacob has his eye on Rachel. 
He already knows this, and he is thinking, how can I manipulate Jacob to get more work out of him for free? Look at verse 16 and 17. Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. All right, so what our culture would consider to be a beautiful person today is very different than even what our culture would have considered 50 years ago to be a beautiful person, or even 25 years ago, let alone 200 years ago or 300 years ago, let alone 3,000 years ago. Every culture has had a different view of, of what a beautiful woman is. And there's a lot of people that think that that Rachel and Leah may have been covered. Their heads may have been covered and all you really got was a glimpse of their eyes. And for whatever reason, Leah's eyes are considered to be weak. This doesn't mean that she was ugly. Some people have said Leah was really ugly. That's not what this means. It just means compared to her sister, Rachel, Rachel was much more desirable in form and beauty. And so Jacob had his eye on Rachel. And Jacob knows, and he's ready to pay a premium price. He knows that Laban, because La he, clearly Laban knows that, that Jacob has a thing for Rachel, he knows that Laban is going to require a high price. Remember in the ancient Near East, they practiced what was considered to be a dowry. That any man who wanted to marry a woman first had to offer a dowry to her family, a payment of sorts. And when we look at this, we are going to see that Jacob is willing to pay a premium price. Look at verse 18. Jacob was in love with Rachel and he said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Normally, Jacob would have come up with money or sheep or the currency of the time and he would have given those to Laban. He would have taken his wife and been on his way. But remember, Jacob had nothing. He had absolutely nothing to give. So he gives a commitment of work. He says, I'll work for seven years for her. Now, normally a dowry's price was equivalent to about three years of wages. So Jacob is offering a premium price, partially because he has nothing. All he has is his indentured servitude to give. And so he promises to pay him. He essentially goes into debt. And one can't help but think of the great reversal here. He, Jacob has nothing to offer. It was years before that Esau, his brother, wandered in from the wilderness with nothing to offer Jacob. And he was starving. And all he wanted was a meal. And Jacob took advantage of him and took his entire birthright in exchange for the meal. Just as Jacob manipulated Esau, now Laban is about to manipulate Jacob. So, Jacob is in completely in love. And he does this. He, everyone agrees to it. He's going to work seven whole years so he can marry Rachel. And look what happens in, in verse 20. I, I love this. He's just completely in love. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Aww. Like that's just what woman wouldn't want. Like, that's awesome, you know? He's completely in love with her. They just seemed like a few days. He was so happy with the thought of marrying Rachel. Ew, is right. Yeah, like that's, that's gross and mushy, but there it is. 
So Laban throws after the seven years. Jacob says, hey, I'm ready. I've been waiting seven years. It went by fast, but I'm ready. Give me my wife. And so Laban throws this huge wedding celebration. A wedding celebration in the ancient Near East would have been considered, it would have been a huge party. A lot of people were there. It would have involved a public reading of a covenant between husband and wife. And so Rachel and Jacob would have stood up at this wedding and made a public covenant in front of everyone to each other. And this marriage covenant then was sealed with what happened in the bedroom that night. And that's how it was sealed. And so the wedding wasn't complete until the next morning. That was the final act. Now watch how Laban here deceives the deceiver. Look at verse 23. So, Verse 22, Laban brought together all the people of the palace, of the place, and gave them a feast. Verse 23, but when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter and her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. <laughs> so, so Laban takes and at the last minute, substitutes Leah for Rachel in this exchange. Why? Because he's been manipulating Jacob for the last seven years, and he's going to do it again. Now, we scratch our head and go, how did this happen? I mean, come on. You would think that Jacob might notice that the girl he took into the bedroom was not Rachel. Well, there's a couple things you have to consider here. First of all, a woman uh, in this day and age would have been veiled. So she would have worn a veil up to that moment. The text also leads us to believe that Jacob was very, very drunk. And so he wasn't even in his right mind at this moment. Laban takes full advantage of this. What's more, can you imagine what had to be done to Rachel? Like Rachel wouldn't want this. She didn't want this to happen. She had stood up at the the party and gave her wedding vows to this guy. Someone had to strap her down and detain her while this was happening. And yet, Jacob finds that his marriage is sealed to a woman that he didn't want to marry. He's ticked. In verse 25, we get this picture of Jacob's response. Look at it. He's really not very happy at all. Jacob says to Laban, what is this thing you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? I sort of imagined Jacob getting up that morning and grabbing his knife and walking over to Laban in Laban's tent and putting the knife under his chin and saying, what did you do to me? And Laban comes up with a lame excuse. It's not our custom to give the younger first. We have to give the older one first. It's just an excuse. Why wouldn't Jacob have been told this long, long ago? He's just trying to manipulate Jacob. But there is nothing that Jacob can do. There's nothing he can do. This is the same cry that Esau made earlier. The same cry seven years earlier when Jacob deceived Isaac and stole the blessing. Esau cried out, how have you deceived me? Why have you done this to me? And now Jacob is the one crying out. Do you see the great reversal here? God is bringing Jacob face to face with himself to say, this is who 
you are. And until we deal with this, you can't move on with your fresh start. And it's a recipe, of course, for disaster. It moves on. Jacob agrees to then work another seven years in exchange for getting Rachel. So now Jacob has two wives and two maidservants. He has four women under his house. He's married to two of them. He ends up having children with all four of them. And it's this sort of recipe for disaster. But now it's Jacob's turn. In this great reversal, he loves Rachel and he ignores Leah. Do you remember years ago when Jacob was born, Jacob and Esau were born, it was said that Isaac loved Esau, favored Esau, but Rebekah favored Jacob? Listen to this reversal here that happens again. In chapter 29, verse 30, Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. The same thing that happened to him, he's now doing, it's all this reversal. It's all this irony that's coming back upon Jacob in this great reversal. And what a mess. Jacob just wanted a fresh start. What was the big, why couldn't he just have his fresh start? Why does this happen? Because Jacob had not yet dealt with his own deeper, darker Issues. You see, the reality is God transforms us by bringing us face to face with our unresolved issues. Laban was a carbon copy of Jacob. He was a carbon copy, and God needed you to use Laban to press forward in the transformation of Jacob. And this is actually God's grace. As much as you and I say, this isn't fair, this stinks, why can't he just have his fresh start? It's God's grace in saying, Jacob, at the heart I have transformation in mind. It's God's grace because God is gently transforming Jacob. You see, a simple announcement wouldn't have worked for Jacob. God simply can't say, hey, Jacob, you're a deceiver, you're a cheat, you're a thief, you're a manipulator, stop it. Because something much deeper is in play here. God is transforming by Jacob by showing Jacob his own sin. And he did. Jacob got a taste of his medicine. In Numbers chapter 32, we read this. As we simply talk about transformation, we see Moses talk about this later in Numbers chapter 32. We read this simple idea. He says, if you fail to do all this, you, but you will be sinning against the Lord and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. In Galatians, Paul says, what a man sows, he will reap. It's this simple idea. This isn't judgment. This is grace. It's God saying, I am going to uncover the deep things that you need. See, we would mean to say, aha, and we've used it like that. When we see someone we don't like that gets caught in their own sin, we say, aha, serves you right. You know, what goes around comes around. God doesn't say that. God says these things in grace, wanting to bring transformation our way because he brings us face to face with our unresolved issues. In grace, he's giving us a picture of what we look like. 
You and I can't be transformed until we're willing to look in the metaphorical mirror. And if we're not willing to do that, oftentimes God brings us face to face, face to face with someone who is just like us so we can see what we look like. I don't know about you, but have you ever heard a recording of yourself, of your voice? Um, uh, I have become a little bit accustomed to hearing my own voice because every week I edit the uh, podcast that goes out and, and I have to hear myself talk. And uh, that's always a bit awkward. But people have told me, and, and I, I can hear it, that I sound just like my older brother Marcus. Uh, they have told me this on many occasions. In fact, my own mother, sometimes she'll call me and I'll answer the phone with hello and I'll hear a pause on the other end and I could tell she's trying to figure out which son she's talking to. Sometimes my own mother can't tell us apart. And sometimes I listen to my brother's voice and go, do I really sound like that? Really? I sound like that? And yes, the matter of fact is I do. I sound just like my brother. We sound a lot alike. And I'm bringing, brought face to face with that. God does that metaphorically oftentimes with other people, not to just hear what we look like or what we sound like, but to see something much, much deeper. God will bring us face to face with someone who's just like us because he wants to show us what our deeper issues are. Look, God says, this is what you're like. Let me help you deal with your issues. Jacob should have been cast aside by God long ago. Jacob was such a mess, God just should have said, I'm done with you, I'm gonna go find someone else. But God doesn't. God, in faithful covenant language, sticks beside Jacob and then says, I'm all ready for you to have a fresh start, but first, we're gonna dig deeper. The key is here, how do we respond? How do we respond when God wants to do some root work and dig down into our lives? Do we run from it? Do we ignore it? It is sometimes so painful to see ourselves in someone else that we want to just completely run from that person. You'll notice this as a parent with your kids. The things that drive you most crazy about your children are the things that you know to be true about yourself things you don't like. It happens all the time. Do we get angry when we're faced, confronted face-to-face with someone who's just like us? Or do we humbly accept the word of the Lord? If you're like Jacob, you are trying to listen to God's voice, are you? If you find yourself in this place, or are you running? We know for a fact that up to this point now in the text, God has been doing a transforming work in Jacob for 14 years. I would like transformation overnight. I would like instant transformation because I don't want to wait. But God lovingly says to us, I want to root out issues in you and I will help you and I will be faithful. And just as he promised Jacob, God is with him. If you're like Jacob, are you trying to listen to the voice of the Lord? Are you ignoring it? I was recently reading about a a particular woman. There was a news article about it who uh, had a particular issue in that uh, she was dealing with her physical appearance. She was struggling with some sort of uh, 
female hair loss, and so her hair was falling out, and it really bothered her. And so over time, rather than dealing with it every morning, she began to cover up the mirrors in her house. Anything that had a reflective surface, she covered. If you'd walk into her house, you'd find it. There were sheets and tape and cardboard over every mirror in the house, so she didn't have to come face to face with her worst fear that she might lose her hair. I wonder how many of us do that. Because you see, the truth is, God wants to bring you face to face with whatever your deeper issue is. And he will bring someone in your life. Will you embrace that and say, God, I'm willing to look at something that's difficult? Or will you run from it? Will you cover it up? Will you ignore it? Just as Jacob learned, God won't let us make a fresh start without digging deeper. And as he peels back the layers in our life, my question for you today is, will you listen? A a fresh start only works when we dig deeper. And God will transform us by bringing us face to face with our unresolved issues. And so as we prepare to sing as we close, I would ask you the simple question that this song will ask you is will you allow God to take your life? Will you allow yourself to be wholly submitted to him? Will you allow yourself to look face to face to allow God to bring deeper and say, I am wholly and completely yours? It's the lesson that Jacob learned. It's the lesson that you and I are learning. Will you let him take your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you humbled as we read from Genesis chapter 29. We're humbled by what you in grace did with Jacob. We're humbled by your love for him, and we're humbled by your love for us. And now, God, by the power of your Spirit, Would you give us the courage to look face to face, to dig deeper in our own lives and to change us so that we would be a people who live like Jesus, who love like Jesus, and who give like Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.